Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to the Rugby League Digest. I'm Michael Adams. I'm not here with Andrew Paskin today. Uh, I'm I'm here with the biggest Adelaide Rams fan I know, our longtime Adelaide correspondent, Guy Wilson. How you going, Guy? Very well, Michael. Thanks for having me along. Uh, no, I'm I'm really thankful for you to for making the time because at, at the time of recording, we've just released our 39th chapter, which looks at the demise of the Crushers, of the Reds, and the Chargers. And there was a, a fourth club that needed to be considered. But when I was starting to put my preparation together, it very quickly became apparent that I had an expert in the mix who could do a lot of my work for me. So I've decided to excise the Rams from the main discussion and bring you on board to, to hopefully go through everything that happened with the Rams. So, uh, yeah, thanks so much for getting on board. Mate, I really appreciate it. And of course, you know, I've been a fan of the RLD podcast for oh, a number of years now since I moved to Adelaide. And I'd love to tell you whatever you and your listeners want to know in hopefully an entertaining way. Yeah. All right. Well, let's just, you know, I've, I've got to know you a little bit. And, and one of the surprising things about you is that you're the, the Rams' biggest booster. But like me, you are a very depressive Dragons fan. We, we spent a, a, a great afternoon at Cogroval a couple of years ago where we, we both had the chance to lament, uh, you know, the 40 years of broken dreams and, and false promises. So can you just, just set up by maybe telling us where you were, you know, during the Super League war and, and how you got to be this you know, massive Rams booster? Yeah, sure. So uh, I was born and bred in Sydney uh, and I grew up in the southern parts and became a Dragons fan through the influence of some neighbours of mine As uh, at a very young age. I got taken to a Dragons game by a lady, a neighbour who had her kitchen red and white decor. She was that rabid, uh, went along, became a Dragons fan for life and a, a rugby league fan for life as well. Uh, for fast forward, I did go through all those depressing years of the 85 grand final, 92, oh, we got there, 93, we should have won it, 96, the amazing year, which started out as a, a load of bollocks, and then I was at the 99 grand final. Uh, Jesus, this is depressing, isn't it? Then we roll into 2005, <laughs> I was at the prelim final, which we lost to the Tigers. Uh, I just thought we'd never win a premiership. Uh, then we eventually, of course, did in 2010. Uh, so being through all that dragon stuff, so a, a dragon's man, but I, I moved to Adelaide a number of years ago now which uh yeah again was a great move for me personally uh, moving in with my, my now darling and i didn't know much about the history of rugby league in south australia apart from the adelaide rams those two years and really those three pr- prime memories that i'd suggest most rugby league fans have if you talk about the rams which is chubby checker kerrid walder's chicken dance and tony Rowe running backwards and i knew that there'd be a hell of a lot more to it than that 
and through actually the influence of your podcast, but also a trip to uh, what more my darling Irene's uh, brother's place out near Oakton. We were driving along. She's not um, a rugby league fan at all, but you know, emigrated here when she was fourteen. And she goes, "That's where the Adelaide Rams used to train." And it sort of sparked me. I'm like. Oh, you know about the Rams? She goes, oh, yeah, they were a big thing. And that led me down a rabbit hole of research in combination with what you're doing. It led me down looking for an Adelaide Rams jersey, which has now multiplied into a massive Adelaide Rams collection. I've, I've met loads of local fans who were fans at the Rams' time. I've worked with the NRLSA in a volunteering capacity, got to know a lot of the people who work in the NRL and the volunteers and the club managers who run it. Uh, and, yeah, it ultimately led to uh, State of Origin time this year, which you had 2023 in Adelaide, which I'll talk through at a later point. But... I got invited to do interviews with Channel 9, with Fox. I had Mike Dalton around my place, look at the Adelaide Rams collection. He's a massive Dragons man, by the way, born at St. George Hospital. Shout out to Michael. I'll have a beer with you when I'm back in Sydney, mate. But, yeah, also Q&A. I got to host a Q&A session with Sam Thiday, Anthony Minicello, and Petro Sivanasiva during the Origin period. And I got to see a lot of what the rugby league community do over here with a big insight that... The public on the East Coast, like myself before I moved here, would have no idea about. So that's the story I'd like to tell today. And I know that you're at the, the talking about the demise of the Rams, which we'll go through. Uh, but there's a lot before that that could be quite interesting to give people a bit of an insight into what things are really like over here, what they were like and what they are like now. Yeah, for sure. And, and really looking forward to getting into all of that. One thing that struck me, both in the preparation for our latest cha- Super League chapter and in the preparation for this, was that more than any other team from this very weird era in Australian rugby league history, the Rams just feels like this fever dream. Like I, I feel like with the you know the Reds and Crushers, they obviously existed before Super League. The Mariners are so tied in with that one year of 1997 and all the weird decisions that happened. But the fact that the Rams got this extra year, and I can't remember watching the Dragons play the Rams, but... Like that happened, you know, like it just doesn't make sense to me looking back that they were there and they were in this United competition and they existed post Super League. And it's just such a a weird time. And the Rams just have such this unique place within it. True. Yeah. They're one of a few sides that played in both the Super League and the uh, newly formed NRL in 98. And uh, my my memories were the same, mate. Um, I, I mean, in the Super League year, yeah, I'm a Dragons fan like you. In fact, my first memory of Adelaide was, apart from the Dragons ties that came over here, was Rod Reddy's going to Adelaide. I'd blown up. Bloody yeah. Adelaide, you know. I, I was <laughs> fervently like, this is a disaster. All Dragons fans blowing up, save our Saints, all that kind of stuff. And, and yeah, you're right in that, yeah, that was a, a year well, full of loads of different things. You've got four years of podcasts out of this. But the Rams were sort of tagged as a Super League side, emanating from the enemy if you're on the ARL, you know, that side of things. And, and not many people remember them in the 2010 comp, and probably because they were languishing at the bottom of the table and, uh, and not much airtime. There's a lot of, uh, I suppose you could say, reasons for that. But now, you know, fast forward now, I, I've got this big network of people that I know that's uh, outside the Adelaide community are just love the Rams, the nostalgia buffs who, who want to know more, you know, jerseys, merch, all that kind of stuff. And yeah, the fever dream, I think, is a really good way to put it. So um, it happened, um, but sadly, not for long. Yeah. <laughs> but rugby league in South Australia didn't begin with the Rams. It didn't even begin with the Adelaide Aces, the long lamented Adelaide Aces. So do you want to, from what you've learned, can you just give us a bit of a background to rugby league in South Australia? 
Yeah, for sure, mate. Happy to. So I, I know you've been through a bit of it on your, your previous cast, but for the benefit of this this discussion. So, uh, yeah, basically it started, the rugby league history started in 908. The All Golds actually stopped here um, on their way to overseas uh, for a tour. Um, beyond that, in 1914, a Great Britain's Line tour toured Australia. One of their first stops was South Australia, uh, and they got a game against the local South Australians where they lost 101 to nil. Um, so not a, not a great start. But then again, the rugby league wasn't really a thing here then. It really got established in 1947. In 1948, there was another kangaroo tour this time. So the big boats that used to go to them from the old dart, the kangaroos decided to play a match against South Australia, who were one year into their existence. So you can imagine the might of Australia, best side in the world versus this. They, uh, South Australia put up a fight. 96 to 5 they lost this time around but really if we fast forward a bit and I'll go through the actual club history or the SARL history itself it really sort of took on significance in 91 when the Dragons came over Dragons came over played Tigers at the Adelaide Oval uh, in the first night game that was actually played at the Adelaide Oval in front of 28,884 people so that really showed that there was an interest I know that was further games beyond that and sometimes you can get a bit caught up in the the fleeting one-off crowds but they had brought a number of games to Adelaide since then and there was a significant local interest in rugby league Uh, that was actually the biggest crowd outside of New South Wales and Queensland for a club game until the Melbourne Storm had a prelim final in 2007. But then, moving along, uh, a number of Dragons games. There was a game, uh, exhibition game during the LA Grand Prix. Uh, Wally Lewis's last game, I know you've touched on that. I've actually got the jersey of Jeff Hardy, who played an invitational rugby league side, the Adelaide side, that took on Wally Lewis's Gold Coast. I've got the number six, so I've got a jersey that marked the king in his last game. Uh, And so there was a lot of promotion over here uh, from the what you call the New South Wales Rugby League as it was at the side at the time and a bit of history with you know, other things you know tour games and that kind of thing but then we can look at the the SA Rugby League so the South Australian Rugby League itself uh, if you want me to go in so Rugby League again started in 1947 and like New South Wales and Queensland uh, over here in South Australia strong in working class roots so those areas, so in the north, uh, you know, the areas like Elizabeth, uh, which is where Holden used to have their manufacturing plant and various dots around uh, Adelaide, there are lots of clubs and, and, the, and the competition evolved. So by the peak of, uh, you know, from 1947 to the peak in 1995, you had nine clubs with over 1,600 registered players playing league from, I think it's under five, so the real low no, kiddies, up to first grade, reserve grade comp, in a full round robin comp. So um, so what's that, 18 rounds, where the games would start at 9 o'clock with the kiddies, then go up through the age groups to first grade at 3 o'clock. And it was really much a, a social community event in South Australia. It was self-managed, self-grown, so the management team there were you know, South Australians who played league, gone on to... Uh, to, to, to manage the code, and uh, it, it also had uh, advertising on TV in prime time. South Australian Rugby League, Channel 9 News, whatever, that was promoted, and these were guys who were South Australian products. So the kids who were playing rugby league then saw their first grade players on TV and aspired to, well, hey, I want to be on TV too, I want to play league. So it was like a, a self-managed, self-growth um, product here in uh, in South Australia, which uh, talking to a number of people that I have who who played, who managed some of the NRL quite now, told me that this was a, a fantastic time and, and a history that I wasn't aware of at all before moving here. So uh, I know when I tell that story to some people back in Sydney, they're like, oh, right, I had no realisation that rugby league was a thing here. It was a thing and it was actually quite a big thing. Well, just to, to move ahead a bit and, and get to the 
the Super League era. And you mentioned you didn't know about you know this rich history of rugby league in South Australia. I don't know if Super League or anyone else involved with the decision to start the Rams were aware of that either. Like it, it just seemed that you had the the South Australian government support, but and we covered it in one of our previous chapters about the origins of the Rams, but it didn't seem part of this really comprehensive plan or a you know an idea that this was a place where rugby league could be it was just almost by default that they came about like is that how you would characterize it yeah i'd suggest that all of that would be would would be true and again i'm sort of coming into this from a having not lived here but talking to a lot of people and and listening to your podcast a lot of the information i get that is from from yourself mate what i do know is that uh, there's a fellow here who Stuart Davis. He's the chairman of the NRA, uh, NRA, <laughs> NRL SA, NRA. That's in America. Sorry, Stu, uh, if you're listening. Um, yeah, the NRL SA, and he was a local junior. And uh, the first wing he got of what was going on is there was again. I told you about the juniors. There was loads of juniors. He was one of them. Uh, probably 14, 15 at the time. I can't remember. And he said that they got brought into a room by the then head of the South Australian Rugby League, saying, "We've signed with Super League." and what it meant, and conveying the, okay, we're going to get a team here, there's going to be pathways, you know, it's going to be professional, you know, you're going to have training for all that kind of thing. And and as a kid, he, he said, that just opened his eyes. It was a, yeah, it was like, oh, wow, you know, we've been playing, we've seen our, you know, our first graders on TV, but I could be playing you know, in, the, in the big competition, which is fantastic. Uh, and yeah, when he went and told his dad, the dad was a bit, oh, I don't know about this. So that, you know, he knew a bit more about that higher level, you know, the Super League war and, and that kind of thing that was bubbling around at the time. So t- to me, if, if I was to hazard a guess, it's more of a Super League scooping up the areas that they could do. Uh, now, the SARL had a strong alignment with the Australian Rugby League, as you might imagine, at the time. But once that decision was made, the uh, the, the gloves were off with the ARL. Uh, fundings were cut straight away, and, uh, and it was, you know, they, they chose their side, which you know, was to develop the Rams. So, so yeah, so to come back to your question, you know, how it came about, I, I think it was a case of they could have got whatever territories they could. There was a strong junior base and fan base here and that you know there could be the option for an Adelaide team if they couldn't stand Newcastle or the others which turned out to be the case that went to the ARL and I think it was something like you know October or something that the the it was announced that the Rams would be the 10th Super League team which gives them about three months to get a squad together then for 1996 which you know they managed to do that they managed to play a couple of trials before the Bichette decision came down but it, but it's not an ideal start to a, a franchise history god no is my response <laughs> yeah at the time i didn't care it was well, rod ready can he can go but but yeah i mean you you look at the expansion sides now like the dolphins who've come in who've had that club history uh, and even you know, guys like phil gould who who forgotten more about rugby league than i'll ever know are saying that's way too short a period they've had the benefit of wayne bennett and they've had a season where it's seen quite successful you know big crowds results not quite there in the back end you look at the that, a lot of the clubs before that, Newcastle had strong grassroots, struggled in their first number of years. The Cowboys were cellar dwellers, you know, again, with this strong roots. So if you combine you know, Adelaide, which had a bit of a history with league, but yeah, a couple of months to pull together a team, which was going to be 97, but yeah, 96. And then you had, a, a, I suppose, a sparsity of players available. They had to get who they could get. Mm. And yeah, to combine that, 
as well with a lot of the management who came over who were doing jobs for the first time like Michael O'Connor was the recruitment manager uh, Liz Dawson of course yeah, uh, came over uh, and uh, and that being the CEO it was Rod Reddy's first first grade coaching gig so there was a lot of things in the mix there that let's just say weren't the ideal start to establishing a rugby league side to capture the hearts and minds of people in Adelaide then you know a year late but they get off the ground and in your notes you've said that there were four Four parts of the Rams' experience over those two years, 97 and 98. Can we get into those four parts and you can you can talk me through it? Yeah, sure. And when I say four parts, uh, to clarify, yeah, it's through 97 and 98. You've got the first half and back half of 97 and then the first half and back half of 98. And just to give a bit of context to, again, how the Rams performed on and off the field and what was going on. So so I'd, I'd summarise it by saying that 97 and 98 was bookended with success, separated by droughts and struggles and so if we go into the first half of 97 uh, they actually had a trial win up in Rockhampton against the Brisbane Broncos the ultimate premiers uh, which was a a fantastic start to the year their opening game was at the Adelaide Oval in round two and that was in front of 27,435 fans where they beat the Mariners and this was uh, a resounding success locally you know the Rams were garnering great public interest here, media on side, government on side and that. So it was a, a fantastic start and a win to boot. And, and just, just to stop there, and for Super League as a whole, at that stage in the game where it was still up for grabs, I, I mean, we've covered it that it was probably futile before round one. But if you're John Rebo or whoever else, to see 27,000 in Adelaide for the Rams versus the Mariners... Like that's proof of concept right there, and like what what a, a temporary moment of glory to to have that didn't finish up that way. Yeah, I mean we can you, you've obviously dissected it and trisected it uh, in many ways and forms the whole Super League experience. But here was a success story at a Super League, a brand new team in a let's call it in a non heartland state with the rush that they had to do to put it together, drew a big crowd at the Adelaide Oval, had a win, fans there. It was, And I know many people, I spoke to many people who went to that game, said that they thought it was fantastic because they could just walk across from the road from the, the city, across the Torrens to the Adelaide Oval. They absolutely loved the experience. And then so we go through a, a bit more. So if you go through to round 10, which I'll just say is the end of the first half of my little synopsis here, uh, round 10, Super League, admittedly 10-team comp. The Rams were sitting on four wins, a draw, and five losses. Uh, but that was the only away win. Was the ver- oh, Sorry, the only home win at the other level was the one we just spoke of. All the other ones were losses. So most of their wins were away. But their crowds were still very, very healthy. So you're talking crowds between 17,500 to 16,000 for all those home games. And so at that point in time, yeah, I'd suggest to your comments that the Adelaide Rams were still the success story of Super League. Again, first season, you're averaging those uh, those kind of crowds. That's comparable with a lot of other new clubs that, that came into the comp, like the Brisbane Broncos, only not even, what, what 10 years before. So, so very much a positive start to the year. That's the front half of the bookend. Then we go to the back half of 97, and 
yet things started to fall away sadly on the field. And uh, after round 10, there were you know, many heavy losses, particularly at home. They did have a big away win in Perth against the Reds, but their only or their second home win for the whole season was against the Panthers in the final round, which actually got them off the bottom of the ladder. Crowds by that stage had gone down to you know, 11,000, 10,000. There was one below that. Uh, I think it was versus the Sharks. Um, the one thing that was actually a bit of a, a positive sign amongst this this barren period for the Rams was the World Cup Challenge, where they had, you know, you'll know again, they had uh, home and away games. There were three games here against the English clubs, which they won quite handsomely all three. Uh, and they drew between eleven and 14,000 for those games. So there was a bit of victory in there, albeit outside the, again, the Super League competition. So, yeah, I'd summarise 97 as fantastic start, amazing, a success for the Super League competition, but also for Adelaide Rams and Rugby League, but a hard finish. I mean, overall, that season, they averaged 15,330 fans to a game. Very respectable for a first season of any club. Uh, overall, that was fourth in Super League behind the Broncos, Cowboys and Warriors. And it was actually fifth overall in averages if you combine the Super League and ARL competitions. And only Parramatta uh, was the ARL side that actually beat Adelaide in crowds. Admittedly, you know, there was tough times, people walking away from the game, that kind of thing. But Adelaide did that. Fifth of 22 in in uh, in, uh, in crowds. So, yeah, so for the club's first year, that's not entirely bad. Six wins, a draw, 11 losses. Rod Reddy was extended, of course. Liz Dawson, three-year extension. We all, as Dragons fans, we know, you know extensions all too well and the heartache that that can cause. But behind the scenes, it proved that there was a few little struggles in there that uh, I can talk you through now, if you like. Yeah, let's let's get into it. So to, well, I suppose, both our hero and many hero of the Rugby League Digest podcast, Kevin Campion, who was a, a signing for for Adelaide in 97. He had meant to be starting here in 96, but Super League got canned. He went to the Dragons when, with the Dragons, that winning run to the grand final. So Dragons fan forever look up to Kevin Campion as a, as a shining star. Okay, yeah, can, can we stop on that point? I think it was only when we started in our research that I realized that Campion was only at the Dragons for one year. Like he, he just loomed so large in my memory and, and I just loved him at the Dragons and followed his career for, for the years after. I just always wish the best for him. I, I just loved Kevin Campion. You and me both, mate. And I reckon if you put all Dragons fans in the same room, well, uh, we might be miserable about the, the losses that 96 side and everyone in it, and particularly Kevin Campion, we just revere them. And yeah, he was there for one year. What a year, though. Uh, you know, we started the season with half a club. Rod Reddy had jumped ship. He was over in Adelaide. David Waite comes in, who was an Adelaide Rams juniors coach, by the way, uh, had got parachuted in. And uh, yeah, Kevin Campion, yeah, I, I became a fan for life. Yeah, wherever he went after that, agreed with you. Yeah, so just had to interject there because I, I don't think me and Andy have expressed our opinions of Kevin Campion before, so it was a good opportunity to do that. But um, but and it's also good to have you to to correct the record of something we said about Campion and Reddy being seemingly a, a perfect match as a, a forward and, and coaching duo, but that experience wasn't how it played out. That's what I found out. Yeah, and, and not to cast aspersions on anyone here that's not the purpose of the exercise but but yeah in, in my research and going down rabbit holes I came across a, a couple of interviews from Kevin that uh, goes through a few of his experiences at the Rams uh, and the first one uh, comes from the where I know now 
part of the NRL website where he was talking about his time with Wayne Bennett. And this triggered a few things with me, and I'll just quote this. So he was, and he talks about Wayne Bennett here. He was definitely one of the major influences on my life, Campion recalls. I was very fortunate because I was basically discarded from the Adelaide Rams under the coaching regime down there. And luckily enough, I had met Wayne in the Tri-Series playing for Queensland that year, which was 1997. And that was the first thing to me going, oh, oh, right, okay then. So you've got a new club, new first-grade coach, teams, players that were brought in, however they were brought in. Some put their hand up to come. Some were probably given, okay, this is where you've got to go. And then it went on to another interview that I found in This Warrior's Life. Uh, And this was when he was interviewed about his time at the Warriors, but he touched on the Rams as well. And this is a bit more direct from Kevin. Rocket wasn't a very good coach, and all the players down there would say the same. I had a clause in my contract that if I made a representative side, I would be upgraded in my Super League contract. Obviously, Wayne thought I was a good player, but Rocket didn't think I was good enough to play for Queensland, and he fought tooth and nail to stop me getting that upgrade. And then just further on to that, uh, quite, uh, yeah, quite, uh, quite confronting there is, again, just with Rod Ready, he pretty much told me that if I stayed at the club, that I'd be playing reserve grade the following year, and I'd be on the market after that. So... Again, I'm not here to to paint bad pictures of anyone. It's just more so. It just highlights to me the struggles of a club where the coach is having this effect on a star player. Let's say a star mm. player, uh, potentially others, uh, and that again, the fall away in the back half of '97 c- could be in part to to this. I, I mean, I, I've spoken to again a lot of people uh, in understanding, and Rod Reddy, his first grade coach, you know, good figurehead front man, that kind of thing. Got along quite socially with a lot of people. Uh, but Tony Smith, remember Tony Smith, Brian Smith's yeah, brother yeah. ended up yeah. great coaching. He was what you call the architect in the brains in terms of behind the plays and that kind of uh, – he was his sidekick. He's Ron Massey, so to speak, uh, if I can use that comparison. So you had a, a quite astute, articulate person with a brain from the Smith family like Brian, so Tony Smith, uh, and then, and then of course, Rod Reddy as head coach. But, yeah, it, it just painted a picture to me that, you know, there's, there's some disharmony there, which is – Highly unfortunate, and yeah, against what we might have thought, you know, it might have been the case when you've got mm. a, a person like Kevin Campion, a person like Rod Reddy, you'd think naturally fantastic fit, wasn't to be. I, I will cut off to another player, Mark Corvo, who at Corvo, sorry, who had a breakout year, and a quote that I came up uh, and found with him. So on the flip side of it, it was you know, Mark Corvo said, "I got on well with Rocket, i.e. Rod Reddy. The more I've played, the more he's come to understand my game." So it wasn't all everyone's against the coach and you hear a lot yep. of it these days. But again, there's some, there, there was some concerns in the background there, which, uh, again, unfortunate. And what you don't need in the first year of a development club in a new state like South Australia, which the Adelaide Rams were in. Yeah, no, exactly. And, and when you're a team starved of star players and your coach isn't getting on with one of the few of those, it's going to cause problems. But I, I, I like that you mentioned Corvo, who... Towards the start of the interview, you mentioned that with, with the way the Rams were set up and scrambling to get players, they didn't get the, the players that were really going to get the hearts and minds of the Adelaide public. But it, I feel like the renewed cult of the Rams, blokes like Mark Corvo have got this second life as as cult heroes on Twitter and elsewhere. Like you, You're seeing more and more, like Bruce Mamando, all these guys like are, are just names that are just out there as, as rugby league figures now that were maybe ignored in their day. Yeah, yeah. It's it's funny what a couple of years will do when uh, it becomes not recent history, but nostalgia. 
And Mark Corvo, definitely one of them. Graham Apo is probably the big one, and I'll, mm. I'll get to him when yeah. we look at 98. But uh, you're, mo- you're most definitely right. There is, uh, I suppose, a, a, a legion of nostalgia buffs out there who fondly remember the Rams uh, and a lot of the players you know, who played for them. And in doing my research and stats and all that kind of thing, you know, I've come to, to follow them in memoriam and, uh, and the careers of all the players. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I too is one of those nostalgia buffs that, yeah, Mark Corvo, uh, Dave Borton, Darian Doherty, all these players, you know, Matthew Daylight, a <laughs> bunch of them. So, yeah, that's, uh, Mark Corbett mm. had a breakout year, was player of the year in 97, and, uh, yeah, was uh, was looking forward to bigger things moving forward with the club. Well, and I think the club was looking forward to, to bigger things. They move into 98 uh, with with some chopping of, of the roster, and um, some players didn't make it through to 98. I think uh, Madge Maguire was one of those, wasn't he? He was there in 97, not 98. There were... Uh, a few players that that ready let go. He was indeed, yeah, uh, yeah. So Michael Maguire, yeah, played not five or six games, I think it was. Uh, there's actually a YouTube clip if you look it up against a, a World Club Challenge game in Leeds, where there was like a 90 meter try from I think it was Paul Sterling, and he stepped Madge like uh, you wouldn't believe, and uh, Madge looked like Woody from Toy Story if he collapsed <laughs> uh, doing it. So a lot of his players bring that up, but yeah, that, that Madge Maguire was one of those players. Uh, he didn't go in into 98, uh, Madge. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so we, if we roll forward to 98, of course, it's the peace pipe, unity, back together again, 20-team competition. And this is where I'd suggest that most rugby league fans would have got their first real side of the Adelaide Rams because of Super League, all that kind of thing. So what they saw, again, was a tale of two halves. So in the first half, uh, or actually, sorry, I'll take it a step back. So you lost a lot of players. You did lose, like, Kevin Campion, Kurt Wrigley, Cameron Blair, Steve Stone, Stuart Topper, so a lot of senior guys. They did have a few new guys come in, like Noel Goldthorpe, you know, again, another one revered by Dragons fans for 96, uh, amongst others, and Tony Iroh. Graham Apo did actually come in a bit later on in the season, which was part of turning their fortunes around. But in the first half, they basically won, well, they, not basically, they had won only one game from their first 10. So on the bottom of the table, the only win came against the Bulldogs at Adelaide in round three. Uh, but a sign of those tensions as well was that Kerrod Walters, who was the marquee signing for the Rams coming down here in, uh, well, 97 when they actually got on the on the field, uh, he was replaced by captain by Noel Colthorpe. So Rod Reddy changed the captaincy up. So you can see there, there's a sign there that, okay, not all's right in, in the ranks. So this couldn't have gone too well. He changed back to Walters in round three and then back to Goldthorpe again. But yeah, one win from their first 10 games. The crowds themselves had dropped significantly as a result of losses and, and all the like. So yeah, you got 11,000 roughly to their first game, but then they were dwindling down to about 6,500 by round nine. So everything's falling to bits, so to speak in terms of results on the park. They were either last or second last on the table in a 20-team comp. And again, going back to the East Coast fans who are seeing the Rams for the first time, they're probably thinking, well, what's the point of having this third in? Okay, especially if you're a Souths fan or you're a West fan or you know, expansion's good, but you know we're trying to hang on to our club. Why should we get kicked out when this is what's happening in Adelaide? So in the round 10, uh, in round 10, sorry, they had a loss at Parks against Parramatta, which was, funny enough, Nathan Highmarch's debut game. And that was Reddy's last game as coach. Uh, he was replaced by Dean Lance and uh, their fortunes changed around from this point on. And that included the acquisition of Graham Apper, who I mentioned. He came into the club, I think it was a couple of rounds before that, uh, and then Kerry Walters was put back as captain, and their first game with this, they beat Penrith 35-18 in Adelaide. 
So it sparked a bit of a revival. They then won their next home game against the Dragons, which was the famous Tony Iro running backwards to win the game at the end of the at the end of the uh, at the end of the game. They actually had a three game winning streak at home. So they were winning at home finally. They'd only won two games at home all in 97, which was the so-called successful year of the Adelaide Rams. But they were starting to win at home. Okay, um, Actually, they went on a three-game winning streak in total, my, my apologies. And they had five, won four games in a row at home. So then they went on to lose the last four games of the year. The last game of the year being the, uh, the game at Newcastle, where Newcastle were fighting for second place in the comp. Uh, Adelaide actually led Newcastle 20-4 to at half-time. They ended up losing 34-20. But it was a sign, if you watch that game, it is on YouTube. Uh, watch the first half. <laughs> the way the Adelaide Rams played was sensational. They, uh, they coordinated. They finally clicked. It looked like there was something there. And a big part of this final, well, the, the second half revival was, due to my opinion, Graham Apo, who came uh, into into the side. He scored 116 points in 14 games, 12 tries and 34 goals. And the Rams won six games with Apo in the team. And he, they never won a game without him, apart from the, the round three clash that I mentioned earlier. So one of the, the other things that I thought was a fantastic thing was in my, my research, I was looking at Rugby League Week articles. And there's a magazine uh, edition back in March 2012, where it went through a lot of the stats through the NRL era when they started counting all sorts of weird and wonderful stats that we know are common today. But in March 2010, in March 2012, my apologies, this is the quote. The now defunct Adelaide Rams still possess the highest line break rate of any team in NRL history at 6.4 per game. So here's a side that was seemingly unsuccessful. They were making breaks. They could score points. They just found it hard to win games a lot of the time. But uh, but yeah, they were a side that was finally starting to come together. Although, of course, they didn't get the chance to to prove it in the uh, in the following season. And, and that back half of the season which ironically was a successful period for them on field, it was a time when it was becoming increasingly apparent that their cards were marked. They were going to be the sacrificial rams and get the chop. There was also a lot of internal drama with Liz Dawson leaving and being replaced by Michael O'Connor. Can you uh, talk a bit about the Liz Dawson experience, you know, from coming on like Sigourney Weaver in Working Girl? I would characterize her look a lot of hype coming in in 97 yeah can can you talk a bit about Liz Dawson yeah yeah I, I can um I mean Liz Dawson came to the club I, I can't remember the exact year and, and speaking to a few people who were within the Ram system there is that she got I'd, I'd say parachuted in with a lot of other people the corporate executive type and if we go back to before the Rams come in, it was a local comp run by locals that are built by locals, and all of a sudden the professional angle come in. And a number of people who first impression of Liz Dawson was, you say, Sir Gordon Weaver in a business suit. It was that, right, spoke Kiwi accents. So a lot of the, the locals never heard of Kiwi accents. They thought it was quite quite particular. But well-respected, spoken with a polish that a lot of the guys here weren't used to, so the locals weren't used to. Fairly good operator, a good front person, so very popular in the media, doing lots of interviews, uh, lots of promotion for the Rams. Massive advocate, as you would imagine, because that was her job. But she was highly respected in the local community, even though she wasn't from the local community. Some people in some cities, you know, if you're not from here, it's almost a bit of a, a suspicion. To the greater public, she was widely respected, uh, revered in some ways, uh, and yeah, predominantly good for the Rams if you talk to most people over here, yeah. And and what about her departure? Was that um, just as a result of 
the the on field problems or do you, do you know why she left? Uh, I've I've asked and yeah around for people who might know, but not no real affirmative thing. So I wouldn't want to cast aspersions or yeah. or, or guesswork here. That wouldn't be fair to her or anyone. Um, she's actually the cousin of Charlotte Dawson. The oh yeah yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Who, who sadly passed many years ago now. But um, but yeah, apart from that, there's not much else I really sort of know about that period mm. of time. So um, yeah, sorry, I can't help you there. That's all right. Well, let, let's turn to the end of the Rams because just reading all about the rationalisation and the criteria that would ultimately decide the fate of a number of clubs. The Rams, I I feel they were dealt like a a really bad hand in one of the the criteria was about on-field performance, and that was, was measured since 94, I believe. The Rams only had two years to show what they could do, in a squad that had to be cobbled together from whatever spare parts they could, what chance could they have possibly had to do much better than they did? And and why would that be such a factor in, you know, what, what should be a strategic decision about where you want your clubs goes back to on-field success. When one club town, they had the sponsorship dollars that was one of the other criteria. Crowds started well, they fell off, but... That they could get good again, get a good team, and, and the crowds would come. Like it, it just felt unfair that the Rams would be judged on 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 field success. Couldn't agree with you more. We, we talked about the North Queensland Cowboys. Had they been judged on their on field success after two years, would they have been in the comp? The yep. Newcastle Knights, a lot of these new clubs, the Dolphins. Okay, if you're not within two years you're gone kind of a thing so it was a timing thing most definitely Super League War most definitely if you ask me to theorise and my view on on-field success being a criteria if you look at the sides that finished at the bottom of the table in 1998 they are effectively the ones Sydney clubs that the ARL formerly were probably hoping would would have actually fall over so that was possibly used as a an excuse to to get rid of well, ultimately some of those clubs but the Rams being part of it most definitely I mean yeah we've gone through the history of how they formed the difficulties the struggles the successes that they had but for that to be part of a criteria and just to oh Adelaide didn't work we'll just walk away and 25 years later they haven't come back since apart from a few games yeah. in a couple of state of origins to me it's just it's just balmy when you're trying to promote yourself as a national rugby league but the other mm. view over here in terms of the demise of the Rams is that it was to prop up and promote the success of the Melbourne Storm. So the Melbourne Storm were mooted by Super League to come in uh, in future comps. Well, they only had the one, of course. The the Storm had a fantastic year. They're, they're the outlier, to use that term, in terms of their first year for a development club. But they benefited, let's say, from the collapse of the Reds and the Mariners. Management in the form of John Rebo, who'd had success at the Broncos and run a club. Uh, Chris Anderson as coach. They'd signed... Glenn Lazarus, Tawera Nikau, they had Kamali there. They had they had a squad that you know, were going to be formidable, end up finishing third that year. So coming back to the Rams, yeah, a timing thing, a very un, unfair, yeah, let's just call it unfair for the purpose of the podcast, unfair uh, criteria in terms of on-field performance given what they were afforded to become successful in the first place. Yeah, and, and ultimately, I, you know, I mentioned the criteria just to set it up in terms of where they were placed, how their survival chances were viewed. But ultimately, the criteria didn't really come into it because it was easier to just, for News Limited to close them down 
News Limited came out and said that they weren't going to fund the Rams into 99. As you said, I, I think a lot of that comes down to the Melbourne Storm. They put their eggs in that basket and didn't want to be propping up two expansion teams. It was easy and convenient for News Limited to stop funding the Rams. It was easy and convenient for the NRL to have one less headache about which clubs to keep. And the charges from the ARL side, the exact same thing. It was easy for them to just shut down the charges. And that's one less club to worry about. When this whole started because of a view of too many Sydney teams, as soon as the going gets tough, let's let's cut off the vision. Let's cut off any expansion that we'd been working towards. Yep. True. Yeah, couldn't agree more. And I mean, the most vocal of these fans, let's say South Sydney, you know, marches and protests, you've got history there, Western Suburbs and, and those kind of clubs that that uh, well, aren't around in their, oh, sorry, South are, but West aren't around in their, in their current or their present form, previous form, sorry. But yeah, I think also, and there's a view here that Adelaide were almost like first or last in, first out, despite the storm. They wanted Storm to be successful, the biggest morning market, seeing like that. And you know, it's easy to just cut without any issue the, the team that's over the border, past the, uh, past the desert and Broken Hill, rather than have George Piggins or, uh, or Tommy Radonikus rapping on your door saying, what are you, what are you doing cutting us? So, yeah, it, it was probably seen as a, an easier option as well, sadly for the Rams and, and the rugby league-loving public of South Australia. Well, it's probably a good point to, to mention George Piggins because there were potentially other ways out for the Rams and, and that via merger. And the two ones that got talked about a lot were firstly a merger with the Raiders, which the Raiders essentially wanted to strip the Rams for spare parts. Like There'd be a couple of token games in Adelaide. but They wanted Graham Apo back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but it, it would have been Raiders with a slight Adelaide representation. The ones that the Rams seemed very interested in was the Rabbitohs that Piggins quickly shut down and didn't want any part of. But that, you know, when the Rabbitohs got kicked out, I thought it was a sad day. But for me at the time, it felt a bit inevitable. I wasn't lamenting. I was a bit cynical about the march through Sydney. Annie and I have talked about it a few times. We both had the sense of like, if only half of you would turn up at the games, you, you wouldn't have to be doing this. History, in a sense, has proven us wrong with the success of the Rabbitohs, but it does leave us with just that extra Sydney team and no expansion. And I, I don't know, I, I'm really captivated by the idea of the Rabbitohs continuing to exist in Adelaide and the, the Adelaide Rugby League team suddenly having this rich history and retaining some Sydney support. Like, what, what do you think about that? I would have, I would have been happy with that. Not being a Rabbitohs fan, uh, had they moved, uh, look, and there's a big Rabbitohs fan base here. Uh, I'm sort of skipping ahead of a bit, but I see a lot of people getting around in NRL gear. Uh, the majority of which are Broncos or Rabbitohs and Eels to a lesser degree. There's there's a big fan base here, and yet yeah, had the Rabbitohs moved over here, or indeed the Dragons, who were talking yep. about it at a period of time as well, that would have been well received here it would have been less well I mean you can't say that the Super League War wouldn't have happened but yeah it, it would have been more sustainable in terms of keeping a rugby league team in Adelaide which you know again I felt with good management and you know, the local grassroots being developed you'd have an equivalent of a Melbourne Storm maybe not performing on the field but yeah a sustainable football team outside of New South Wales and Queensland mm. but 
alas, that's just for us to speculate on. Can you talk about rugby league since the Rams? Like, what what happened immediately after? Where are we now? Rugby league in South Australia? Yeah, sure. There's a little bit to capture here, but I'll go back to just before or when we're talking about the history before the Rams and that you had 1,600 registered players you know, across you know, juniors up to first grade. And I've heard some people who've played in the in the local junior comps tell this story, is that I told the story that Stuart was in that room, Super League's announced, great, they're thinking, brilliant, we're going to have a league team here. Well, on their first training day, the local juniors turned up and everyone knew everyone because it was a very communal competition over here and there were lots of players like, who are these guys, 14 to 17, a lot bigger, stronger, running around? And it turns out a lot of these players who would end up forming the Adelaide Rams Academy and a lot of the under-19s in the Adelaide Rams were from outside of South Australia. They're from New South Wales, headhunted, picked, targeted to come down and train. One of those uh, guys was a guy by the name of Kelso McEwen, who's now the the ops manager here of the NRLSA, I know him quite well. Really, really good guy. I'll talk about more what they do in a minute. But you had a lot of the locals who were thinking, great, we're going to be trained up and 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 uh, yeah, developed in a first graders. But that never happened. None of the locals really made it to the under-19s. There was an under-15s comp as well. So what happened there? And some people will say that actually rugby league started dying in Adelaide when the Rams turned up because of this. So you had your seniors who were still going around. They were never going to make the grade, but they loved playing footy. But it was your, your age ranges from about 13, 14, up to about 17 or 18 who were knocked out of these development squads. And then with the, the, the other players coming in from out of town, they were playing around. So a lot of these 13, 14, 15, to up to 18s left the game. So there was this dearth in the middle. And the kiddies run around five, six. They'll just run around with the footy. They didn't care. So over this, the course of time, your first graders start to retire. Your... There's no one sort of coming through to go into that senior level because the big show had left. A lot of the academy players had gone to play with other clubs. Some people stayed like Kelso, who's still in the who's still in the NRLSA or is in the NRLSA now. But all the clubs fractured. A lot of the clubs fractured. They lost their middle tier of that that junior aspiring talent. Some of the the youngsters, so the under tens, were farmed off to different areas. And the other thing, too, that was lost was that with professionalism and Liz Dawson, all those people coming over, a lot of the managers pre-Adelaide Rams had not been given jobs. So they were lost to the system. So it was almost a picking up the pieces of what was left over, the people who continued to play rugby league, and then new management in there trying to rebuild what was there. So um, so for the next 10 to 15 years beyond you know, 99 when they were cut, there were real big struggles, and AFL continued to grow. So, you know, uh, the Crows and the power and the development of the local comps here. There was a funding drought from the NRL, and they also lost access, sorry, to a lot of the facilities that they'd used. So, Thibbert Nerville, which was used for that very first game in you know, 1901, you know, that rugby league had been played there for you know, upwards of 80, 90 years. They, they, they lost that. They lost a lot of their, their facilities. The, other, the bright side to it, though, Michael, is that South Australia did produce three NRL players. In this, so juniors, the kiddies who then grew up to go on, and that was Nathan Vag who went for Cronulla. We went to Cronulla, played a few games there. Joel Reddy, can we claim him? Yeah, why not? Rod Reddy's son played with the Arawara, but hey, he played in the juniors here and went on to play NRL. And the other one is Brenton Lawrence. <laughs> Brenton Lawrence, for Gold Coast and Manly captain, uh, is a product of the Central Districts Roosters over here. So there were some bright lights, but local comp it really started to started to or you know, it had tapered right off. Sorry, post Super League. And there's a story that Stuart uh, Davis told me uh, a little while ago that he was in Sydney for a visit. He's a he's a Canterbury Bulldogs fan, and uh, before he became in the role of Dizzy, he actually bumped into Arco and John Quayle 
in Sydney and thought, he didn't Andy go, I'm going to bail them up. They were their wives, but I'll, I'll do a bail up here. When am I going to get this opportunity? Went over and had a chat and uh, they were really receptive. She said, oh, where are you from? He goes, oh, from Adelaide. And I was played for Adelaide, you know, in the, and they were like warm and glowing. And I don't get the quote right. So it's not, a, please don't quote me on this, but the inference was that, yeah, South Australia got punished for going down the Super League route. Mm. And beyond NRL, even though NRL was partly from news, they were seemingly, yeah, looked down on because of that decision. So a lot of that funding and all those kind of things could be attributed to that. So the big change that I've seen since here, or that I've been told since here, was the rebuild started, and it has grown since then. So it was really on death's door here. The league was really, really struggling. Todd Greenberg, when he came to power in 2016, did visit here, did visit Western Australia a number of times. I spoke to a number of people who saw and met with him. And he was pro-national rugby league. So trying to redevelop that footprint that the game had pre-Super League and and grow the game outside the heartland states. And uh, anyone who knows a lot about rugby league will see in Victoria the development that's going on down there. I won't say it's all to do with Todd Green, but there'd be plenty of other people, of course. But he was a, a real promotive uh, positive person to suggest that we really need to grow that game at grassroots level. Victoria's come along. Uh, he spent a lot of time here in Adelaide and over in Perth as well. So a lot of the rebuild has come through him. Um, then it led to NRL games coming over here. So we had the Roosters and Storm come over here for three years in a row. You had crowds of between 15,000 and 21,000. So that attracted, again, again a great uh, public to the game. And then it led to, it led to um, State of Origin here. Coming in 2020, a big, hairy, audacious goal that the local league had here, and uh, they made it happen. And they are a small team in the NRL over here. They're not big. They're not a massive head office like they did at Moore Park. You know, it's it's uh, just a handful of people who worked hard to make that happen. So, uh, yeah, so the game has come along yeah, a, a fair way, but, yeah, it's got a long way to go. Well, I, I want to finish up on having an Adelaide team back in the big time, the the case for why it's being ignored. But, but before we get to that, you have a bit to do with the local leagues and you've seen the development. Can you just... Rugby league in South Australia, what is the current state of affairs? So we've got six teams in the men's competition. Uh, a lot of those have been long-standing clubs. A, a number of them are new. Three of those clubs have teams in women's. And uh, again, a growth area for the game across... You know, the greater rugby league landscape in Australia, of course. You've got a number of juniors, kiddies, so under 10s, under 12s, that kind of thing. So so the growth base is coming along quite well. And this is post-COVID too, mind you, Michael. So that that knocked around a lot of sports and and particularly here in Adelaide with uh, with the rugby league uh, and the NRL losing lots of people. But, um, But yeah. The state of the game now is its growth. It's incremental growth year on year. Uh, the current team here in the NRL, you've got uh, the chairman, you've got uh, Kelso, uh, and you've got a couple of full-time staff members in uh, Casey and Ben who are game development officers. So they go out to schools. They'll promote not just league, but also tag, touch, those kind of competitions. So they just want kids to be open to league in whatever forms they are. So they do a fantastic job. They're working six days a week out there amongst it all the time. They've got a lot of part-time staff in here as well who come in when needed. Uh, there was one of the under-19s, academy coaches, Alan Muscroft, who was around there, and Chips Rafferty is a life member of the league. So these guys are dedicating their, their time to help grow the sport. It has come along. It does have a long way to go. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, it, it is definitely on the up. And, uh, and Adelaide as a, as a city is just open to all kinds of sport if it's got the Adelaide name to it. So, um, yeah, rugby league could be a success here one day if we get a team back in the top flight. That, that's a great place to build on. 
and the NRL is is thinking about expansion again. We've we've had the Dolphins launch. There's a lot of talk about the 18th team. We're hearing Perth, the perennial. We're hearing a second New Zealand team. We're hearing Papua New Guinea. I haven't heard much about Adelaide at all. Like, wh- why not? Probably because it's just me. Um, <laughs> look, I've got, I've got theories to it. I mean, if, if you think back to 95, or I do anyway, when there was that expansion of four sides, so you had North Queensland, the Crushers, you know, Auckland Warriors and Perth, this was an exciting time as, as a fan back there. And so the entry of Perth, if we cut to them, was seen as a positive one. And everyone saw the Wacker, Full House, Dragons first game. They saw that and you had guys like Mark Geyer and Brad Mackay playing for them. So people look back in that nostalgia factor that Perth, it was a positive. Adelaide was born out of a war, basically, and forgotten about by the larger rugby league public apart from you know, Tony Ira running backwards and all that kind of thing so and, and you've got Mark Guy who of course has gone on to a career in the media so he's constantly there and whenever expansion comes up so he's a, he's a figurehead for, for Perth you've got well Kerrod Walters is of course the most notable one for the Rams and you know, he is interviewed a lot is very very pro Adelaide talks very positive experiences here reckons there is definitely an opportunity to come back but he's not a media entity so much so that's probably one of the reasons why not Adelaide I also think that a lot of people don't realize the love for the game that was over here and is still here now you're talking about Papua New Guinea that's the Chinese elbow solution to the Pacific peace whatever it is we can go through that in a minute if you want people talking about Christchurch and Wellington big rugby union strongholds which are basically cities the size of Newcastle and New South Wales okay there could be merit to those things but to not consider a a, a city that's a national capital of Australia, two hours flight from Sydney, 1.4 million people, which has a strong history in rugby league, was you know, in a situation where the Rams just were set up to fail in many respects, as if we could use that term very respectfully, not disparaging of anyone who was involved in the club, that they're not even considered by so many people. I just, I find astounding. Yeah. I, I've, I've been thinking about a lot in preparation for this, and, and I, I think a big part of it is just comes down to Adelaide's place in Australia. It, it's probably the most overlooked capital city in that you don't really get uh, a, a clear identity of, of what Adelaide is and, and who it's for. It's, I, I, I don't know. Like, I, I think, I, I think Adelaide needs a boost yeah. as a city before the Adelaide rugby league team will really get taken more seriously. Needs a boost. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I knew Adelaide for the Grand Prix when I was a kid. But I know a lot of people who just look down their nose at Adelaide for some reason. And it's an East Coast thing. It's, I mean, Don Perito, the old Premier, was taking pot shots at Adelaide left, right and centre <laughs> out of nowhere. The walking, talking Stephen Hawking, no longer in power. See you, Dom. Um, so, and Adelaide's used to that. But they're not worried about it. It's just, oh, whatever those East Coasters, you know, we just get on with life. But yeah, I mean, there is this, I'd say, unfair stigma of Adelaide, for, for whatever reason, by, by people on the East. And... What I get from Adelaide since I moved here is it's a city that embraces all its sporting teams. So whether it's the 36ers, Adelaide United, the football club, the Crows of the Power, of course, AFL powerhouses, Adelaide Thunderbirds, even the Giants. The Adelaide Giants won the the baseball league here. Huge publicity, huge crowds when they go along. So they embrace anything that's got Adelaide on it. Um, and they, there is, it's a place where it's, it's big enough to be a city but small enough to be a community. By that, everything gets exposure. Everyone wants Adelaide to succeed. But outside, you know, it's just seen as, oh, Adelaide, it's like, like an also-ran for whatever reason. And there was 
recent polls, you know, beyond state of origin, actually leading into state of origin as well, just locals like, okay, would you want to see the Rams back? And I was thinking, oh, we're going to get a few, you know, smarty comments, all that kind of thing. Most people are going, oh, what a waste of time. Most people are like, yeah. Yeah, we'd love to see him back. Anyone I see around town, if they'll be wearing NRL gear, I go up and have a chat with them. Sorry, I might be wearing a a Rams cap or or whatever going out, and people come up to me and have these conversations. They are genuinely remembered fondly here. If only people knew that if you embrace Adelaide, it'll embrace you back. And sadly, leading in a state of origin, that wasn't seen the case by the public here with various promotions saying this is real footy when the gather round was on and other factors that just did not go down well with the public down here, there is the makings of something here. If you're a rugby league fan, wouldn't you want to see your, your sport grow? Wouldn't you yeah. want to see you know, your, your sport grow in a heartland for AFL? Mm. You know, rather than go, oh, bleh, no, Adelaide, why? I personally would love I love seeing the Melbourne Storm succeed. You know, I'm not a fan, mind you. I was at the 99 grand final. I, but I like seeing an expansion side grow in the state that is done there. We could have that here in Adelaide. You could have it in Perth. P&G is another thing, but for me, anyway. But, um, but yeah, Adelaide's just looked down on for whatever reason. And you know, if you want to choose to do that, then do it. All right. So to finish up, you've got the floor. I, I know there'll, there'll be a, a, quite a few listeners who think Adelaide's well down the pecking order, if, if they're on the order at all. Why Adelaide? Why is Adelaide the perfect place for the next NRL team? Because Adelaide helps put the national in National Rugby League to start off with. And people who follow me on Twitter, Adelaide Rampage, they'll bark at me for that. But anyway, Adelaide, right, it's a city of 1.4 million people. It's not small. It does and has got a history with rugby league. Yeah, sure, there's two AFL teams, Port Power and, and uh, and the Adelaide Crows. But that means that there's vacant space for a standalone rugby league side in Adelaide to have a clear runway throughout the weekend of sport. Unlike Melbourne, Melbourne's got nine, I think it is, AFL teams, okay, and they're still successful. And you've got the openness of the local public to support anything Adelaide, as I've run through. They're, they're open to things that are open to them, okay? I've not, I've had, sorry, I've had one conversation about rugby league here where someone's been, oh, right, don't get, don't like it. I kid you not, people I speak to like, yeah, what happened to the Rams? Or, oh, I would love to see this, or I'm a South supporter. I see loads of people getting around in NRL gear. That aside, if I'd encourage people to get a map out. Get a map out of Australia, New Zealand, include Papua New Guinea. Dot the points of where the clubs are at the moment, and then dot the points of expansion potential locations. And these aren't Queensland ones, because to me, that's not expansion. That's consolidation. That's not that's not expansion to me. So put Perth on the map, dot Adelaide on the map, put Christchurch, Wellington, and Port Moresby. And you'll just look at the geography. You look at the geography. Adelaide's only a two-hour flight from Sydney. It's not far away at all, much closer to Melbourne, you know, a bit over two hours to Brisbane. Then you've got, of course, North Queensland and quite close to Wellington. So you've got a proximity here, which is good for travel in terms of cost, but also players after games. Okay, you know, travel, you know, we all talk about travel, or, or sorry, not we all talk about travel. Some people talk about travel being a big factor, especially in North Queensland, that it, it's quite close. It's the closest big city to all or mo- the majority of current NRL teams. If you look at Perth, it's more than twice as far away. And I'm not being disparaging of Perth. I mean, Perth, I think, would be a fantastic option as well. 2.1 million people, but geography is geography. It's a five hour flight there and a four hour flight. Uh, you can get a, few, get a few Cheers episodes in on that. Long haul, though. <laughs> oh, yeah. Norm. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> 
Sure, well, I've done that flight a few times. Uh, it's quite uh, it's quite buggering. Uh, look, they've got a great setup over there, no doubt. Um, but that is that is a huge distance for them to fly week on week. Much less we've got the Warriors in in the comp and, and and that kind of thing. A lot of people do talk about the time zone being a benefit to Perth, and that might be the case. But that's only going to be every second week, on average. And if you take that time zone into factor, well, who else uses that time zone over in Perth? The Eagles and the Dockers. The AFL use that time zone for very reasons. So they're going to be competing potentially a lot with the AFL on game day. Okay, so it might be good for Sydney, but is it good for Perth? So Adelaide, yeah, close. It's got a big population. But either one of those two cities, you're going to attract new eyeballs. New eyeballs, new viewers, okay, new advertising revenue, all those kind of things. Adelaide is also a city that... It has a background in rugby league, okay? It has a lot of you know, positive media, very welcoming government. So they, they want big events. They want big uh, big, uh, uh, big events. That, you know, they brought back the, the Valo 500, brought Origin over here. They want to continue supporting that. Now, it's just an open city that it's not marching down the street like South Sydney did in 99, trying to bring back the Rams. But if you bring the game here and treat the people you respect, they'll embrace it. But I'll, I'll finalise... Final off with the fans. So, again, I mentioned that I talked to a lot of people around around the leagues, uh, at the leagues, sorry, games, uh, just fans in general in the street. And there's an area up here, Elizabeth, which is where the old Holden plant is. I think I would have mentioned that before. And I run my own business. So I help people with disability and jobs. So I'm at the local mall a lot where a lot of them work. And I see lots of people getting around in a Parramatta hat or getting around in a, a South hat. I'll have a chat. The local sports store has got a wall full of NRL gear. And I was chatting to them going, Oh, right, I didn't realise you sold a lot of energy gear. Do you shift a lot? They're like, yeah, we shift, we shift loads. Yeah, We've got lots of fans here. And a lot of those fans come from those early days, pre-95, where, where you know, their grandfather played in the league, was on TV, or they played juniors, or they're cousins of someone in there, so they adopted a league. So there is a ready-made fan base here that could, uh, could easily you know, knock back up to that 15,000, 20,000 mark if the Adelaide Rams, or another form of Adelaide, in a rugby league team, came back to town. So there's pros and cons to a lot of things. I, like you, I've heard you say this, I just like that Adelaide Rams would be more in the conversation. I think PNG belongs in an international level, personally. If you bring a PNG team into the competition here, and let's just say they're not going so well, what does that do to international league in the region? I'm all for developing PNG and rugby league and grassroots, but develop the competition, and then you've got another source of players that could that could come over here and play and help, you know, fulfill what a lot of people talk about is where we're going to get the players from. So, yeah, for me, I am biased because I live here now, but I have genuinely seen the opportunity that before I moved here, I would have been like the majority of the public going, eh, not so much Adelaide, why not Perth? Because Mark Guy said so. Well, Guy, I'm, I'm sold. I, I, I love your passion. I, I love that you're pushing the cause for rugby league in Adelaide. I am looking forward to seeing you at the Hill in Jubilee next time you're in town. But I would love for you to be able to reciprocate and invite me for a beer on the hill in Adelaide watching the the newest uh, NRL team there. Mate, if that opportunity comes around, it's not just going to be a beer. It'll be it'll be a box. It'll be yeah. We'll be riding in on a couple of Rams, whatever it is, mate. But uh, but no, most definitely. Look, uh, mate. Thanks for having me on, and I hope that gives people a bit of an insight into what's uh, what's happened over here, what's happening over here, and again, the people in the NRL they're working their backsides off to produce uh, or to grow the sport here, like most places across the country. It's just yeah, 
it's a lot tougher to do it over here when you haven't got the uh, uh, the, the, the local support in New South Wales or Queensland. So uh, we're doing all the right things, trying to promote it in the right way, and hopefully a few, a few more people get on board with the Rams. Yeah, love it. So uh, thanks so much for, for joining me. This this uh, this was the right call to, to get you on because I've, I've loved the chat. Uh, and yeah, so thanks so much, Guy, and we'll speak to you soon. Thank you very much, Michael. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.